Now, Del Monte Foods brings you a world of adventure with... Rocky Jordan. The big clock of the Ezbekia was chiming 4 a.m. as I walked the lonely Cairo Street on my way home from a hot poker session a few blocks from the tambourine. I first saw the car coming down the hill of the Sharia Nazim picking up speed. I watched it, and suddenly the car seemed to be out of control. It swerved to the wrong side of the street, bounded over a curb, crashed through some boxes on the sidewalk, and ran smack into the brick wall of an empty store. I ran to the car as quickly as I could and looked through the rubble. In the front seat, or what was left of it, was a girl. Her dark green dress was in shreds, and the sequins still sparkled in the light of a street lamp. Her hair was auburn, and her face soft and fair with a look of innocence. But there was one thing about her that wasn't very nice. She was dead. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte, the best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world, takes you now to the Cafe Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient East, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story... The Dead Colleen. Well, the girl was dead, and there wasn't anything for me to do but find a phone and call the police. And I wanted to do it fast. The noise of the crash had raised a lot of Kyrenes out of their sleep, and the more inquisitive of them were gathering. That's when I saw another car coming down the street. It pulled to an abrupt stop, and a tall, thin man and a dark, single-breasted got out and came running over. Easy, mister. Call an ambulance. Don't just stand there. There must be an emergency hospital close by. I'm afraid that won't help. What do you mean? She's dead. Drive me up the block. There's an all-night gas station on the Sharia King Charles. We can call the police. His name was William Biddle. He was an American in the import-export business. And he said he knew the dead girl. Now, we found the gas station, made the phone call, and the police took over. An hour or so later, Sam, the thin guy, mopping his brow with a monogrammed handkerchief, and I were at police headquarters. Captain Sabaya was asking his routine questions. Her name is... Eileen McCall. She came to Cairo from Dublin on a visit. Her driving was a little erratic, Biddle. What caused that? I'm afraid too much to drink. Eileen and I were at a party, the Ephraim Pasha's home on the hill. We had an argument over a personal matter. She took her car and drove away. I see. Another unfortunate accident attributable to the indulgences of man... Well, Mr. Biddle, I will hold her passports and visas for a day or so and inform her consul of this regrettable incident. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, you may go now. I have your address. I shall contact you if there is further need. Uh, thank you, Captain. Goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye sir. Uh, Jordan, uh, useless death is something I can never bring myself to accept with ease. Yeah, I know. Well, if you don't need me, I'll run along too. Uh, yes, Jordan, you may go. Sam. Hmm? I looked through that mess that once was an automobile. I couldn't find Eileen's purse. The thought struck me. A girl only considers herself half-dressed without a purse. She takes it with her automatically whenever she goes someplace. Now, where... Uh, uh, come in. May I 
see you for a moment, Captain Sabaya. Yes, of course, Dr. Hamar. Oh, Jordan, this is Dr. Hamar, one of the department's physicians. How do Howdy, you Doctor. Uh, Captain, uh, there was something about the body of Elaine McCall which disturbed me. I thought an autopsy necessary. I found a distressing fact. And what is that, Dr. Hamar? The girl did not die of the automobile accident, Captain. She was a victim of arsenic poisoning. Well, the case of Eileen McCall picked up a new wrinkle. Poison. Her missing purse probably did mean something after all. And Sam suddenly had a new interest in the case. He had work to do, so he shooed me out of the office. I went to the tambourine, crawled into bed, and slept off a bad night. The next morning, the newspapers were full of the story, carrying photos of the car crash and the headlines screaming about the murder. That afternoon, I had a visitor, a heavy-set man, dark hair and eyes, who kept knocking his onyx ring against his drinking glass. Mr. Jordan? Yes? I'd like to talk to you, if you have a moment. What about? A dead girl named Eileen McCall. Now sit down. I've got a little proposition for you, Jordan. I think it'll interest you. You can make a buck out of it. Here. There are 5,000 American dollars in this envelope. It's yours, if you can find Eileen's murder. That comes under police business. They can use some help. Why are you so interested? Well, let's say I'm a friend. You still haven't told me who you are. Oh, uh, Blackburn's the name. I'm a traveler. I live in a lot of places. I meet a lot of people. Eileen was one of the nicest. I, I don't like seeing her end up like this. I want an answer. I think you're the one to get it for me. Who'd want to kill her? If I knew, I wouldn't have to ask you to find out. She left Dublin three weeks ago, came to Cairo on William Biddle's invitation. He's rich. He wanted to marry her once. You find out who killed her. Look, her purse was stolen before she died. Why would anyone do that? I don't know. Why do you come to me with this? Why don't you go to the police? Oh, reasons. Uh, Well, will you give it a try? Sorry, Blackburn. The ante too small? No, just not my line. Oh, Don't give me your final answer right now. Think about it for a while. After all, it isn't every day someone gives you a chance to put your hands on 5,000. I'm staying at the Mina house. Uh, Nice meeting you, Jordan. See you again. He ambled out of the tambourine, caught a cab, and was gone. I turned back and looked at the table. Blackburn had left the envelope with the $5,000. I poured myself a cup of coffee and went into my office to think. There was something about this affair that intrigued me. Exactly what, I wasn't sure. A little later, I put in a phone call to Sam. He'd been checking the guests at the Ephraim Pasha's party, but had come up with nothing. He did, however, tell me that Eileen McCall had been living at the Delta House on the Sharia Kufar. That evening, I found myself talking to the desk clerk. He gave me a room number, 2M, and said the police would allow no one to enter. So I left the building, walked around the back, and located the fire escape. A few moments later, I found a window to what I hoped was room 2M, Eileen McCall's room. It was open, so I climbed over the sill and struck a match. Most of the room was in order, the bed made, things in place on the dresser. But in the corner of the room stood a very untidy suitcase. I moved toward it to get a closer look. The leather side of it had been ripped open. I kneeled down to examine the suitcase, and that's when I felt the gun on my back. Stand up. Oh, didn't know I had company. Stand up, I said. I hope you know how to handle that gun. I'd hate to think it went off by mistake. If it goes off, it won't be a mistake. Who are you? My name is Jordan. What are you doing here? I came looking for what was hidden in the side of that suitcase. And what was that? Well, I'll tell you when I find it. Hey, look, point that gun the other way, will you? Not just yet. 
Well, then you better give it to me. My ears can't stand explosions. Come on, give it to me. No. Uh, oh, you're hurting me. Sorry. That's better. Now let's talk on even terms. Who are you? I'm a friend of Eileen's. Everybody seems to be. You've got a name. Mona. There's more to it. Baudry. Mona Baudry. But I use other names when the need arises. Uh, what did you find in the suitcase? Nothing. Give me a handbag. Gladly. But if you were a real gentleman, you'd ask me to give you my phone number instead. <laughs> uh, nothing. So you found nothing. All right, tell me what you hope to find. I'd rather tell you my phone number. You can tell them both to Captain Sabaya, Cairo Police. Come on. Out the window? Sure, just like we came in. Now move. We started out the window and down the fire escape to the sidewalk. Mona in the lead and me walking close behind her. Suddenly she stopped walking. I urged her, but she wouldn't move, and I couldn't figure out what she had in her mind. A second later, I knew. The blast came from the shadows across the street. I shoved Mona onto the ground and dived for the sidewalk myself. Shots kept coming. I inched my way along the wall. Then it was quiet except for running footsteps. Mona's. She'd scooted down the street and lost herself in the Cairo night. Oh, I'd bungled it fine. I crossed the street to where the gunman had been, and he was gone, too. But he'd left something behind. A cigarette butt. A real fancy monogrammed kind. The initials on it were WB. And I was thinking of William Biddle right away. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Now, here is Larry Thorne. Summer certainly is the popular season for fruit cups and fruit salads. And no wonder. There's something about a combination of juicy, refreshing fruits that gets an extra welcome on warm, sunny days. And that goes double when it's Del Monte Fruit Cocktail. Because that's like having all five of your favorite fruits in season at the same time. Even better, Larry. After all, Del Monte Fruit Cocktail is easy. You get all the fruits mixed in one can, and there's no peeling or cutting for you to do it all. That's why so many women keep Del Monte fruit cocktail right handy in the refrigerator, chilled and ready for refreshing, luscious salads, first courses, or desserts. Open it, and there you are. Tender, mellow peaches and pears, tart, sweet pineapple, juicy, seedless grapes, and bright cherry halves, all mixed in a flavor balance you'll say is exactly to your taste. Now, that's my idea of a genuinely helpful product, Larry. Grand flavor, good looks, and no work. Surely you won't overlook all the many, many ways Del Monte Fruit Cocktail can help you this summer. Why not make a note of it on your shopping list right now? Now we take you back to Cairo in tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Dead Colleen. Well, it was all about a dead girl named Eileen McCall. Someone had slipped her an overdose of arsenic. Why? Well, neither Sam nor I had it figured. In the picture were a man named Blackburn, who had offered me $5,000 to turn up a murderer, a girl named Mona Beaudry, and a fancy article called William Biddle. Willie looked pretty bad. A monogrammed cigarette told me he was the one who threw the shots at me. I figured he'd be a good one to pay a visit to. I found his address in the Cairo phone book. 
two-story modern mansion off the river's edge. I rang the bell. A moment later, the door came open. Yes? Standing there was a surprise. Mona Baudry carrying a real vacant look. Well, what is it you want? I can see we're going into a routine. I beg your pardon. The name is Jordan. Yours is Mona Baudry, or so you said. We met around your gun in the apartment of a dear departed. Or is that what you're trying to forget? I believe you're drunk. Go away. No, no. Get back from the door. I'll call the police. Go ahead. I'll tell them where we met. Who would ever believe such a lie? Now, please leave quietly or I will. Mona, who's there? Oh, it's you, Mr. Jordan. Come in. Thanks. Mona, honey, I'd, I'd like you to meet Mr. Jordan. Jordan, this is my wife. How do you... Your wife? I'll leave you two men alone. I've got some things to do upstairs. Goodbye, Mr. Jordan. Nice to have met you. Come into the library, Jordan. I uh, didn't realize you were married, Biddle. No. Don't I look like the marrying kind? Drink? Uh, no, thanks. Well, what brings you here? Oh, say, if you got a cigarette, I guess I left my pack in. Oh, of course. You'll have to take one of these fancy kinds. I have them blended to order. As an added affectation. I even have initials put on them. I see. Yeah, it seems to me I've seen one of these before. Or at least what was left of one. Yeah. But... but where did you get that? Someone threw some shots at me not more than half an hour ago. The gunman left this butt behind. You don't happen to have a hot gun around, do you? You mean, was I the one who shot at you? I'd like to believe you're joking, Jordan. Getting shot at isn't something to joke about. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Everyone seems to be asking me that. And I'm not quite ready. I suppose you're going to tell me you haven't left your house this evening. Exactly. Uh Uh-huh, and I suppose you're also going to tell me your wife's been here all evening, too. And what has she got to do with this? If you don't know, how should I? You really better go, Jordan, or I'll have you thrown out. Eileen McCall was killed because of something that was stashed away in her suitcase. She brought it in from Dublin. Someone knew about it, and I bet that someone was you. Get out! I was just leaving. Incidentally, I'm not the only one interested in Eileen's death. So was a fellow named Blackburn. You better start living fast, Biddle. You may not have much more free time after I talk to Captain Sabaya. <laughs> Jordan, what you have told me about Mr. Biddle is most interesting, especially in view of what I have discovered for myself. What do you mean, sir? I have been investigating the persons who attended the Ephraim Pasha's party last night. It seems quite certain that one of those persons there put the arsenic in Eileen McCall's drink. Here, read what I have found out about Mr. Biddle. William Biddle, convicted September 10th, 1939, Boston, Mass., USA. Counterfeit charge. Released from federal prison March 1947. Oh, counterfeit. Yes. I thought that most interesting. Eileen McCall carried something in from Dublin in the wall of her suitcase. I can take a guess at what it was now. A counterfeit plate. That's what I would guess, Jordan. I've done some investigating of Miss McCall, too. She's not, or I should say, was not all innocence. The Dublin police knew her well. Uh, well, I'll run along now, Sam. And where are you going? Out to make a buck, I think. I left Sam and went back to the tambourine to check things and to make a phone call. The call was to the Mina house. And a moment later, I was talking to Blackburn. Well, Jordan, I'm glad you called. I knew you would be. 
Are you still interested in spending that 5000 I am. All right, it's a deal. You know who killed Eileen? Uh, I think I know. Who? Maybe you've already guessed. Anyway, the 5000s in my safe. I'll let you know when it's all over. My next step was a visit to the home of the Ephraim Pasha, the man who held the garden party Biddle and Eileen McCall attended. His layout could have passed as a palace out of the Arabian Nights, a place just crawled with servants. A big Nubian took me to the Pasha, and we sat out in the garden alongside of a flowing fountain. I began to talk, and the Pasha got real busy throwing food to the goldfish in the fountain. Go away, Nicky, you greedy little fish, you. You have eaten everything and allowed nothing for the other. Hey, are you listening to me? Hmm? Oh, of course I am. I've heard every word you said. You and the police are interested in uncovering the identity of the person who killed poor Miss uh, Eileen McCall. Nikki, I told you to go away and let Nellie have her turn. Oh, that Nikki is such a pig. Uh, what I'm really trying to find out is who had the opportunity to poison Eileen's drink at your party last night? As I informed the police, there were many people at my party last night. I had engaged two bartenders to mix the drinks. Certainly they would not poison any of my guests. Uh, who handled Miss McCall's drinks? Miss McCall was with Mr. Biddle. I presume he saw to it she was amply provided for. Then you'd say it was possible for him to have picked up a drink for Eileen, dropped some arsenic poison into it, and give it to her? Oh, really, Mr. Jordan, you do not think Mr. Biddle killed her? My question was, was it possible? Well, yes, I suppose so. What was Mr. Biddle wearing last night? I do not remember. I do not pay much attention to men's garments. I think he wore a blue single-breasted suit, red carnation, white handkerchief in his breast pocket, black shoes, and a maroon tie with an atrocious design. Oh, how should I know what he was wearing? I tell you, I do not pay much attention to men's attire. No, of course not. Blue single-breasted suit. Yes, I remember it now. Well, thanks, Ephraim Pasha. You've been a great help. Have I? I'm delighted. Oh, and you better throw Nicky some more chow. He just took a nip out of Nelly. Nicky! My plan was simple. Wait until the Biddle household went to sleep, crawl in a back window, and turn up a suit of clothes Biddle wore to the Pasha's party. A quick vacuum cleaning of the pockets, an examination of the dust by a chem lab, would soon tell enough whether or not he'd carried arsenic powder. Well, the lights at the Biddle house were out as I stood across the street watching the place about 10.30 that night. I waited until it was close to 11, then moved across the street. I climbed over the small stone fence, and I began to scratch around for an open window. A moment later, I wished I was someplace else. Who is there? A voice shot out, and then a flashlight cut the night air. Who is there, I say? I ducked and began to run for the cover of the bushes. Out immediately, or I shall shoot! I kept moving through the bushes cautiously, trying to circle the man with a gun. For some moments, it was cat and mouse, me cringing behind one bush, then another, and the flashlight playing around trying to seek me out. But luck finally was on my side. He stepped past me. I moved out from the bushes fast and threw a heavy fist into the back of his neck. He folded like a tent in a windstorm, and I bent down to get a close look at him. His face I didn't recognize, but his clothes I did. They wore the uniform of the Cairo police. And I knew Captain Sam Sabai was going to be awful mad at me for roughing up one of his boys. All 
right, Sam. I'm sorry. I didn't know it was a cop. He was shooting at me. I had to do something. Of course he was shooting at you. You were someplace where you should not have been. I've explained all that already. You know why I was there. Because you believe William Biddle killed Irene McCall. Yes. Well, Jordan, both you and I would have to revise our opinion. William Biddle himself was found dead not more than one hour ago in an alley in Old Cairo. <laughs> In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. It happens so often on weekends and holidays. The family keeps right on eating, no matter how much you ladies would like to take it easy. Well, one way around that problem is Del Monte crushed pineapple. The handy, delicious style of Del Monte pineapple that makes even the easiest desserts look and taste as elegant as you please. I discovered that ages ago, Larry. Just put Del Monte crushed pineapple over leftover cake or custard or pudding, and you have my family's idea of a real treat. Well, why not? Del Monte pineapple has the sunny color and superbly refreshing flavor that spell extra enjoyment anytime. Del Monte raises its own very special strains of pineapples, lets them get deeply, richly ripe. That explains the wonderful, tart-sweet flavor you get in any style of Del Monte pineapple. Sliced, crushed in chunks, tidbits, and juice, too. Of course, Del Monte crushed pineapple is just indispensable for summer favorites like ice cream, sherbet, sundaes, and so on. I buy several cans at a time. How's your supply of this golden, tropic goodness, friends? Stock up on Del Monte Crushed Pineapple tomorrow. Back now to Rocky Jordan for the conclusion of tonight's story. Well, I'd been flying off in the wrong directions. Of course, it was still possible that Biddle had killed Eileen McCall and someone else had killed him. But it seemed more likely that the same person had killed both. But who? It was Biddle's wife, Mona, the Pasha with the goldfish and Blackburn. Well, thinking of Blackburn reminded me of the $5,000 he'd offered me to turn up Eileen McCall's killer. I left Sam, went back to the tambourine, took the five G's out of the safe, and headed over to the Mina house. It was close to midnight when I rapped on Blackburn's door. A moment later, he opened it and stood there in a silk robe. Jordan! Can I come in? Why, of course. Kind of late, I know. I'm sorry. Uh, have you got something to tell me about Aline's murder? No, I've come to give you your money back. I'm out of business. What do you mean? It's all back in Sabaya's hands. If you still want to spend the 5000 offer it to him. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way about it, Jordan. I really thought you were the man to get to the bottom of this. Uh, I guess I thought so, too. Uh, fix your drink? No, no, I'll be leaving now. Thanks, anyway. What's the matter? You've had any visitors tonight? Visitors? No. Sure? Of course I'm sure. What do you mean? This ashtray's got a familiar cigarette butt in it. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. A very fancy type, monogrammed and all. W.B. You know, I saw one of these across the street from Eileen McCall's apartment. Dropped by a joker who threw some bullets at me. I saw some more in the pack of cigarettes William Biddle carried. Was he here tonight? Why... Come to think of it, I did mention your name to him the last time I saw him. I mentioned the fact you were offering the $5,000 to find Eileen's killer. What are you getting at, Jordan? You know, almost anyone, invited guest or not, could have gotten into the Ephraim Pasha's party. It was out in the garden. The small fence was easy to get over. Anyone could have got there to slip the poison into Eileen's drink. 
Anyone could have filched one of Biddle's monogrammed cigarettes and purposely dropped it on the sidewalk after he took those shots at me to make me believe Biddle was the one. Are you getting around to saying I killed Irene? Oh, now, why should I say that? After all, if you killed her, why should you offer $5,000 to me for finding her killer? That's right. Unless, of course, you were just using that as a cover-up. I think I'll give Captain Sabai a phone call, have him bring some of his nosy policemen to search your room. I barely got the last sentence out before Blackburn began to move. Three steps took him to the bureau drawer, and I knew what he was after. I moved, too. Got to the bureau just as his hand slipped into the drawer. I slammed the drawer shut, and he withdrew his hand, feeling plenty of pain. But his other hand was all right, and he threw it into my face. I came back, and soon the two of us were rolling across the floor, knocking over chairs and lamps in the best tradition of a barroom brawl. Neither of us heard the door come open, but we both heard the sound that followed. Blackburn also felt it. The bullet plowed into his shoulder, and all the fight went out of him. Standing in the doorway with a hot gun in her hand was Mona Biddle. I really should have done what I came for. I really should have killed him. Well, sit down, both of you. We still have many things to clear up. Uh, Mrs. Biddle, over there, please. And Jordan, you there. Blackburn is on his way to the hospital. He, of course, will be well enough soon to stand trial for the double murder. My men are searching his apartment now and will no doubt find the missing person, Miss McCall. But I am sure, Mrs. Biddle, you will be able to tell me what else they will find. Eileen McCall came to Cairo not on my husband's invitation, as Blackburn told Mr. Jordan. But she did come to see my husband. Threatened him with exposure and forced him to meet her at the partial party. Eileen knew his background. She wanted him to join her in a new activity. She brought to Cairo with her a plate to print counterfeit Irish sweepstakes tickets. Yeah, very old and lucrative business, Sam. Mm. But even in the face of her threats, my husband turned her down. Meanwhile, Blackman must have found out about the plate somehow, wanted it. He guessed where the plate was and thought with Eileen out of the way, the rest would be easy. So he killed her. I assume you can get the details from him. What were you doing at Eileen's apartment after she was killed? I went to get the plate and get rid of it somehow. I knew if the police found it, my husband might be implicated. Mm. Now, what of your husband's death, Mrs. Biddle? I realize it is a difficult matter for you to speak of, but it is necessary the facts become clear. Yes, of course, Captain. Mr. Jordan, do you remember when you mentioned Blackman's name to my husband? Yes. Will knew Blackman. He went to see him and apparently accused him of Eileen's killing. You know what happened to Will. Later, I went to Blackman's apartment to kill him because of what he did to Will. I came in while you and he were fighting my shot? Well, I didn't kill him. I guess I couldn't. Now I believe you have it all, Captain. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, due to the extenuating circumstances, Mrs. Biddle, I will recommend no charges be brought against you for your shooting of Blackburn, but you had better stay close to home until I have had another opportunity to talk to you. Goodbye, Mrs. Biddle. Goodbye, Captain. Goodbye, Mr. Jordan. Goodbye. You know, Jordan, so often it is the innocent in these affairs who suffer most. Yep. Well, the matter is at an end, except for one thing, the $5,000. You know, you actually could claim it, I suppose. You did find the murderer of Eileen McCall. Oh, I don't want it, Sam. Put it in the policeman's treasury or something. I don't care what you do with it, but just don't buy any Irish sweepstakes tickets.
superb flavor, for dependable quality always, enjoy Del Monte fruits and vegetables. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. The brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jay Novello as Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell, with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Included in tonight's cast were Ted Osborne, Tim Graham, Ken Christie, Paul Fries, Lorene Tuttle, and Jane Webb. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station. And the story is Interviewed with Lorena. On a summer morning, noon, or night, cool off with golden, refreshing Del Monte pineapple juice. Let its tropic tart sweetness satisfy your taste. Renew your energy with its natural fruit sugars. Yes, next time you're thirsty... Have a glass of Del Monte pineapple juice. Bob Stevenson speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.